0: Tuesday night, and we've got a special episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Tonight we're discussing Captain America: Civil War, and this is definitely the show for folks to understand that politics is more than just keywords like accords and member nations. Uh, tonight we also have a special guest joining us, a regular guest. But before I want to introduce him, I want to kick it over to my co-host Alana. How you doing?
1: I'm great, I'm great, I'm really excited. We have got two issues, episodes, sorry, about Civil War for you guys, because there's a lot to talk about, and ready to get started on this week's one right now.
0: Yeah, so uh, to dive that, uh, into it, we need to introduce our guest. Uh, he's been on the show a few times, and he actually is a contribu- contributor to graphic policy. Steve Attawell, he uh, writes an article, everyone um, quotes about Captain America being a New Deal Democrat, and we're going to really just dive into that, I think, a lot next week, um, but he also uh, teaches public policy at Cooney's uh, Mur- uh, Murphy Institute for Labor Studies and the founder of Race for the Throne. Welcome back, Steve. How you doing?
2: I'm good. How
1: are you? I'm doing good. And actually, I do just want to highlight that for those of you who watch Game of Thrones, uh, now is another important time to make sure that you are reading Stephen's uh, blog and following his Tumblr for Game of Thrones-related updates and information. So,
2: <laughs> thank you.
1: Yeah, that's completely so over. Yeah. I trust you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I, no, you should. He's, he's the leading expert. Um, right. So, yeah, you guys have both gone and, and seen this movie uh, twice. And I know, Brett, you were at, you heard the Russo brothers speak about it, in fact, in D.C.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the night it opened that Thursday, the Russo brothers were speaking on the film courtesy of the Smithsonian. So that was actually really interesting uh, to hear them talk about the film and filmmaking in general. Uh, but I think it, it kind of gave a interesting perspective. So at least some of it, I'll probably be bringing up in or two discussions. Um, but it was it was fascinating. I think it kind of uh, opened my eyes a little bit as to what their thought process
2: was. And uh, did they talk about the sort of comics to to, uh, to movie adaptational choices?
0: They didn't, which was interesting. It was the closest they got was talking about hitting some of the themes of the comic um and i don't think they need like quite hit all the themes but um you know the 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 most they really discussed was um that there you know there were some key themes like the the you know obviously of um caps and tony having different perspectives and also having a uh, uh like a regular person's perspective which is miriam in the film and miriam i think sharp is the last name in the comic mm-hmm. um and that was about it. I think there's a, a couple themes they leave out that are kind of key in comic, but the whole other, you know, that'll probably be discussed down the road. But not a, not as much as you'd think. I think their their biggest discussion was more of this being a continuation of Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron, uh, more than mm. anything else. So they they really seem to kind of uh, disconnect or and and leave the comics to the comics and the film to the film, other than you know. There's just some slight, you know, slim, slim yeah, similarities I think between the two. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I thought it was kind of fascinating. And no one really asked questions uh, along that. I I wanted to ask them about the themes question, a uh, themes question I have, but uh, no one really dove into it. People were more interested in, you know, what they what their you know big thoughts on directing in the future of Marvel, in future of movies in general. I mean, it was really kind of, it touched a lot, but comics was not really one thing that it was discussed.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think the three of us all agree that the Russo brothers are the best directors who have worked on the uh, Marvel movies. I think hands down. Yeah I, yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely.
2: Certainly. Well, The the phrasing is a little bit strange. I don't know if they're the best directors that have ever worked. They're certainly the most successful uh, at at making these movies work. I mean, there have been some amazing directors who have worked on Marvel. Whether they've been able to successfully kind of make the movies work as movies and really kind of make the the positive... uh, you know the, the positives of the Marvel formula work for them. I think they're definitely the most. That's
1: a good point. I don't want to necessarily yeah. hold this against Kenneth Brown's Shakespeare adaptations. Um, that <laughs> him having been a Marvel film director as well. Um, that's that's a good point. Uh, or I, Shane Black, for that matter. I mean, so you know, I definitely left the movie feeling very. I felt I really enjoyed the movie. It's a very long movie and it held my attention the whole time and at no point did it feel like it was old. Um, I have some frustrations with the choices that the movie made about who they had go on to which side and different characters' political motivations, which we will discuss in the next episode. But other than these like, specific intellectual complaints that I don't know if I would have had if I wasn't coming into the movie as a comic reader I, or, or somebody who has a lot of overwrought thoughts about these characters... You know, I I really enjoyed the movie thoroughly. I think it's a very well-made film. I didn't really see any like flaws in the filmmaking of the work of the directors or of the actors or the cinematography in any of those ways. I think that there's some issues with the script, but by and large, it's it's excellent. And I I would I would definitely watch it again once it gets released to home video. But I'm so glad I saw it in the theater because, if nothing else, that airport scene is one of the best full-screen battle royale moments in, in, in any kind of action movie. It was so dynamic and it worked it included all of the characters behaving in character-descriptive ways and using their powers in ways that were really dynamic on screen. It just nailed it.
2: Absolutely agree, and I just wanted to say I saw the movie for the first time in a midnight screening with a crowd of young people who were all comics aficionados and who were loudly shouting like Team Cap and Team Iron Man and were just really emotionally intense, and that for me was, like, I loved the second viewing very much, Mm -hmm. but the emotional energy of, like, not just big screen, but all of the people who were, you know, Emotionally engaged from and like energized from even before the the film started was amazing and there was like spontaneous applause throughout the film. It was really quite something. Mm.
1: Yeah, there were cho- there were cheers when we went as, as well ourselves. Um, yeah, and that's
0: that's one reason I like going on you know opening nights is because I I feel like you don't quite get that energy often on like the Saturday matinees, Um, there's just something about opening nights that that, uh, there's that magic. I think the crowd gets really into it, because that tends to be the more hardcore people who really care about what they're saying.
1: You know, I went into this movie... Cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, I don't see all superhero movies, but the fact that this was by the Russo brothers meant that I knew there'd be a certain level of competence regardless. I was never excited about, when I heard that they were making Civil War as a movie, I was very concerned because I, the universe of, this, of the Marvel universe is not populated enough for it to feel like a Civil War is possible. Um, and it's not, and the world hadn't been out enough yet. And it sort of seemed like it was a premature thing to do sort of like when the third Spider-Man movie had venom in it, we're like, but Spider-Man hasn't been Spider-Man long enough for venom to become a thing yet. Like I had a similar sort of reaction when this was announced. Um, And, you know, one of the things that that we have read that we've done in preparation for tonight's episode is we've gone back and reread the civil war comics themselves from low those many years ago. Um, And I find myself, you know, I, I had looked at the Civil War comics at the time they were released as being a political message comic series uh, and that it was not handled particularly intellectually soundly. Things were kind of all over the place, but it was comics were attempting to address a serious political issue. Um, and then in the movie, it, the movie wasn't about politics at all. So the fact that I thought that the Marvel universe of the Marvel Cinematic Universe wasn't ready for a civil war based on, you know, uh, philosophical differences um, of this nature and didn't have the number of characters for the civil war to really feel like there was a civil war at stake. The fact that they decided to shift the movie and have it be entirely about interpersonal conflict, really, is what made it end up working. It just means in the end of the day, I wish it wasn't called civil war.
2: Um I mean, I guess you know the it's sort of a, a a devil's choice in a way because it's like which is better to not address the politics or to address them in the most straw manny soapboxy like i I think a lot of the the criticisms that people had about the comic books is that it felt like it what, the politics was not grounded in uh character that people were taking stances. Um, seemingly because they were made to by Marvel editorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the classic example of this is that, you know, what has kind of the story that we've learned after the fact is that originally Captain America and Iron Man were supposed to be on opposite sides from the ones that they ended up on. But that writer Mike Millar thought that uh, if you, that since he believed that the uh, Superhuman Registration Act was the self-evidently correct position, uh, a position which you know, he turned out to be in the vast minority uh, 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 within Marvel's writing staff, that if he put Captain America in charge of it, that it would be uh, too one-sided, so that by flipping the sides, he would make it more evenly matched.
1: Huh. Now, Malar is an idiot and an asshole. I'm pretty sure, as a group consensus, by an enlarge, <laughs> not to speak He's for gotten He's, He's gotten better. He's gotten a little bit better, <laughs> um, But uh, I, I, I think that in the comics, you know, it, it, Tony, you know, Tony is a military-industrial complex guy, and Cap is raising legitimate civil rights concerns. You know, and uh, I think it's I I I I I I for all my criticism of Malar, like th- that didn't seem like it was particularly trying to me. Um, I don't think I had when, when the I remember when the when the series was announced, I was relieved that they hadn't made Captain America be the pro government guy because I was, it, you know, we're talking about like post nine eleven. America, where anybody who believed in dissent was being told that they were unpatriotic. And I was legitimately frightened that the comic would ha- be in another place where the notion of dissent was, was, was made as unpatriotic. So having Captain America, who is this avatar of America, crit- be willing to criticize the government again, which is something he's always done, and as, like, as a key part of his character, as Stephen has repeatedly demonstrated in his articles for Graphic Policy and other places, um, that really mattered to me, so I was very excited over the decision of Captain America lead the rebels. But I didn't have strong feelings about who should be leading the uh, the pro-government side of things, you know. I, uh, so, you know, but I think like in the, in the movie is so divorced from an actual political debate, like it just succeeds as being a movie about these characters' relationships with each other. Because if there's one thing that the movies have done a good job of it's developing the relationships between the characters in the movie. Right. So we have a lot, so I, I, much stakes in those.
2: But I would push back a little bit and say that you know, the one thing that I think the movie did very well is make the characters' positions feel like that they, they were organic, that they had come mm-hmm. from a place of their previous experiences in political learning. So you know Tony Stark has been fighting over this issue of self-control since Iron Man 1 and is coming off a series of disastrous mistakes that he's made in his life, including Ultron, you know. Uh, So you kind of understand why he's coming down on the side of, um, you know, of regulation, whereas Captain America, coming off of Winter Soldier, has just seen, you know, national governments, um, you know, fail in a big way. So, you know, I don't want to get too much into the politics of the movie, But it at least feels like, you know, I see where these people are getting their positions, where it seemed to happen, you know, rather random. Now, Captain America and Iron Man, you know, I I agree with your point there, Alana. But, like, a lot of people didn't understand why Spider-Man, the guy who, like, has had the most, you know, background of cannot tell anybody about my secret identity, otherwise it'll hurt my family – all of a sudden, decides to uh, you know reveal his identity before the world. Um, in the comics, I certainly, yeah, yeah and I certainly mm-hmm. in the comics was baffled by the fact that um, uh, She Hulk, who is
1: primarily
2: a, a defendant's attorney, a defense mm-hmm. attorney, um, you know, seems blithely unconcerned by the civil rights implications of you know indefinite detention without trial. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of like you know, characters seem to be sort of picking sides at random. Yeah.
1: Yeah, She has no internal life in the comics that are part of the main Civil War series. So why should she question any of that? Um, I, 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 they're definitely, you know, I, I, I did actually feel like some of the assignations of sides in the movie felt random to me, but I, if you, if you were to go by politics, but if you're good, but if you're to go by personal relationships, they, by and large, make sense, and I think that's what the movie is actually doing. Go ahead, Brett. I, Sorry,
0: I, I was gonna say, yeah, I totally agree with the Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Man unmasking in the comic, it was supposed to be like a huge, uh, I think, shock to the readers, and, and it, was, it was, yeah, it was,
2: yeah, and, yeah
1: it, and it was, but it, it was so fucked Up a the character for a long time. They couldn't figure out how to fix it.
0: Exactly. I was about to say, like, it was such a bad decision, they had to undo it, like, what, a year and a half later or so? Um, like, it was just such a horrible, horrible, day. and it makes so little sense. Um, I mean, the, they, and they could have been such an easy thing to fix, and that all you have to sit, sit there and say is, like, you know, I've been crapped on all my life being the superhero, you know, here's my opportunity to go legit and actually be accepted you know, I'm I'm gonna do this. Like it, it could be that I'm just broken down, and this is the path of least resistance and I get something out of it. But the Wait, this sorry, thing.
2: Brett. Yeah. You uh you roboted out there. Uh, what did you say? Well, I was gonna say I said like,
0: for me with Spider Man, it, it could have been an easy fix, and that all you have to do is say he's been crapped on as a superhero for so long, he's just going the path of least resistance and, yeah. you know, doing this path to, to get some legitimacy, an easy like an easy thing you could have just thrown in a line or a statement or something like that, and it would have made sense, but they just didn't do it. They went for the shock and didn't go in depth, and I think that was that's my issue, the comic, but also the movie to some extent, in that when you really dive into the examination of it, like, both wind up really hollow in so many ways. You know, the uh-huh. comic starts off with this, like, really solid debate, and then it trails off. Um, and then in the movie also it begins with this really solid debate and then it just winds up being a superhero slugfest. Um, and what I, I said off the air was to me it was just turns into Jason Bourne with superheroes. Um, and, and I think that's my big issue with both stories is that they really do have interesting things to say and interesting ways to say it they just kind of fluff it off after kind of using that as the setup. In other words, the politics is the setup, but it's not the point. The point is just to have superheroes beat the shit out of each hmm. other. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's
2: a fair point.
0: And the, and yeah, the interesting thing is... I was just, I and was and I'm not to say somebody this. who's ever... Sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead.
1: I'm not somebody who's ever gone to a movie saying, looking at two characters who I like and want, and asked who's going to win in a fight. Like, that's just never been my choice way of engaging with superhero entertainment. I'd much rather know how how are people going to get together, you know, like how are people going to work together as a team is much more interesting to me than how are people who's going to win in a fight. Um, and one of the things that the movie was great about is it showed us so many different cool opportunities for teamwork. It it, it could have just been like bashing action figures together, but it actually showed people complementing each other in interesting ways. Yeah, I mean Spider Man and yeah. Spider Man was such a. Was, like, okay, I'm really angry that Spider-Man isn't Miles Morales, and I will preface anything I say about, like, there's no fucking reason to have another white kid Spider-Man. However, the kid was great, and um, I loved the way they characterized him. There's no reason he couldn't have been an African-Latino kid. But, um, but I think that they did a great job with that character and the fight, and his attitude and that was just wonderful, and the way they used his powers. Like, they were definitely paying attention to how people should work together Ant Man was another great illustration out of it as well. You know? Yes.
2: And and just to, to sort of get it back to contrasting with the comic books, one of my beefs with uh the the Marvel Civil War comics, aside from the politics, is that the actual conflict was not that interesting. That all of the fights were ambushes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Two. um It was always about numbers. They were always talking about, like, you know, oh, so many superheroes have gone to this side versus so many superheroes have gone to that side, or, like, waves of reinforcements coming in. And the staging was often, you know, a little bit muddy and not very dynamic. And precisely that thing of showing powers interacting in different ways and interesting ways never really happened in the, the Marvel Civil War comics. And I just think that you know it's a mixture of writing and and uh the art that just kind of uh, you know didn't live up to potential whereas you know we can see on um, you know in that one fight and there were a lot of good fights in this movie you mm-hmm. know the the lago set piece the um the uh berlin car chase the airport you know, the final fight in, in uh, Siberia where you always, the focus was on interesting interactions of powers and different characters doing cool things and combinations.
1: Hear, hear. Although you did mention that there, that there were, were no interesting uses of powers in the comic. I, I have a, one, one point to the, that I would disagree with on that, actually. Um, I, I, you know, I thought the comics were bad and um, upon second reading were worse. But I do want to give a shout out to the three good things from Civil War, the comics. Are you guys ready? Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. One Sue Storm yeah. using her
1: powers okay. to take out, to just she takes shit out. Nobody gives Sue Storm enough respect in any medium. And they actually gave her space to demonstrate how incredibly powerful she is and how terrifying she is. And she motherfucking leaves Mr. Fantastic, which we know has needed to happen. And she leaves the kids with him because she's that awesome. And because she's like hoping that'll force him to actually act like a dad for once, she even says that in her going away note, like, "I'm gonna be on the run, so you should take care of the kids now." And it's almost the seeing, like, "Let's see if you can do that, or if you're too much of an asshole to do that." Um, and then she goes and runs off with Namor. It's like, okay, so Sue Storm in Civil mm-hmm. War is a, is a good thing. It's a good thing.
2: The second. Uh, well, go- there is that incredibly cheesy moment where Namor straight up says to her, you know. Your lips say no, but your heartbeat <laughs> says yes.
1: Yeah, it, it, but you make it sound all rapey, but it wasn't rapey. It was definitely <laughs> cheesy. But it was,
2: Yeah, um, I, I'm not trying to make it sound rapey. I'm trying to make it sound like seventies porn. Like it, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty. He's yeah. lounging on the throne in an open bathrobe and you know his usual scaled, uh, bikini briefs. Why is and he
0: wearing a just, bathrobe
2: it, underwater? uh to draw <laughs> attention downwards clearly
1: i probably probably but um regardless i think sue storm was actually used well in Civil war for once and no one else ever bothers to do it um you know uh point 2 punisher shoots the villains in cold blood because mm-hmm. that's what he does like i loved how uh, when they bring some supervillains in to Cap's side to say, like, oh, the Thunderbolts are working for Iron Man, so let's see if these, uh, cr- these criminals have come forward and they want to help us to fight, fight back. And Cap's, like, and they're about to, like, begin talking to them. And Punisher just pulls out the gun and shoots the two villains point blank. And everybody acts shocked. And he's like, what? This is what I do. <laughs> and that was, like, thank you, Mark Millar, for remembering, like, that's what the Punisher does. And I'm so tired of people forgetting that. Like, if you like Punisher, you like somebody who fucking goes and shoots villains point-blank unprovoked. That's what he does. That's who he is. And then which feeds into the last good thing about Civil War, which is Cap calling Punisher a madman, which is entirely accurate.
2: Sure, but to me that raised questions about Cap, because like Cap is the one who said, like let's bring the Punisher on board, and Cap no. is also the one who's like, let's talk to villains. And I'm sort of like, you come off as a bit of an idiot. Like anyone should have seen that this is what he was going to do. No,
1: Punisher invited himself. Punisher walked up to the house, carrying the the broken body of Spider-Man, Captain America did not invite Punisher. He showed up.
2: Right. But like, there was a big fight about like, you know, should we let him stay? He's a crazy person. And Steve Rogers is the one who makes the call and says he can stay. And then the next issue, he shoots a bunch of people. it's just like, it's, like, I have on that page, literally, this is where people start acting stupid because, uh, you know, my instinct was just, you know, I don't get the decision-making processes that say that both of these things at the same time are a good idea. See,
0: I see I see the Punisher – Cap using the Punisher in the comic as a sign of desperation in that there's a couple things we need to do. He has some skills. We need him. We're in that shitty of a situation that we have to rely on him. Um, and then the villains, I think, invite themselves. Like, they say, you know, we've got issues with this because it's, you know, we don't want to live in a police state either. And then they get kind of get shot. So that isn't really explored enough so that we know the mm. full dynamic when it comes to, to that in the comic. But yeah. I have to say, like, I agree that, to me, the the scene with Cap and the Punisher in the comics, is something that I actually really missed in the film in that, one, it really reflects Cap and, um, you know, what he means as a symbol, but I think one of the most, one of the best moments is when Cap's beating the shit out of the Punisher and everyone says, you know, and everyone's like, why didn't the Punisher fight back? And it, you know, that clicks that, you know, this guy, it means so much to so many people. That's, you know, the, even the Punisher, who's a complete nutcase, and kills people in in cold blood, isn't willing to punch the dude.
2: Okay, but here's my beef with that scene, is that they literally say, same guy, different war. And I'm like... Which is not okay. Right. Yeah, that's not okay. And also, like, Captain America was around during Vietnam. He was arguing against it. Like... And if Frank Castle was a <laughs> Vietnam veteran, he would have been aware of that because it was public news. Like in the Marvel Comics universe, America brought down Richard Nixon. So, yeah. you know, that's that's a legacy that, you know, should be relevant to people. So, you know, I would think that Cap would – sorry, that Punisher would think that Cap is a hippie.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I was still happy to have at least one person acknowledge that Punisher is an asshole, especially since now he's going to get his own TV series. Well, he gets to be the hero. Oh, joy. Um, But the most important positive thing coming out of Civil War, the comic, which is not to be credited to Millar, in fact, at all, um, but is the most lasting valuable thing that came out of it, if not the only, was it reintroduced Luke Cage to a position of prominence in the Marvel Universe, and it gave us the world a Luke Cage-led Avengers team. And... um, that comic yeah, that was, was mostly awesome.
2: Bendis, right?
1: Exactly. That comic was entirely by Bendis yeah. and a number of different, uh, different um, artists, Finch and some other folks. But, um, but yeah, like you know, dur- during the time of Civil War, actually, and when we were prepping for this, I realized like the only comics that I read during the Civil War were New Avengers Bendis book led- as led by Luke Cage and Daredevil. I didn't really read like the other surrounding titles per se. Um, oh,
2: so you didn't so one read reason- the infamous. Uh, Marvel uh, Civil War Frontline. No.
0: I, I remember reading this the Frontline.
2: Yeah, like, this was the one where, like, you know, in terms of actually having the political discussion, yep. like, this is where it happened. And I think this kind of raises the potential issue of, like, should you bring up political issues if you don't have the wherewithal to do it in an intelligent way? Because, right. you know, well, they the don't know they don't argument...
1: Have I mean, and I I read them since I read them for preparation for this. Yeah. But like, but I think no, they have they have they don't know that they're not capable of doing them intelligently. So that's really not a, a metric we can evaluate, really. Um, yeah. But to me, I think that's the thing that,
0: that I found missing. Like, even if the front line did the politics idiotically, um, you know, it it needed to be somewhere. Like, the thing that I think was is really interesting in Civil War and frontline i think was the one that really kind of dove into it is you know we actually get to really see the impact of the average person that's not a superhero and their political clout cuz that's really what it is like all of it is due to lobbying and the power of the individual i mean the main series mentions it and i think in one like one line um or one or two lines but frontline is where they really kind of dive into that and to me that's like the the thing that was really it had so much potential in the series that wasn't explored. And then the other thing that drives me nuts of, of things that were explored thematically is the new warriors are the ones that cause nitro to blow up. And you mm-hmm. have this interesting dynamic of reality TV and responsibility of celebrities when they've gone overboard and wind up getting all these people killed, um, which, you know, there's been a lot of fuck up and fuck ups in reality TV and people mm-hmm. have gotten hurt. And to me that's something that, that, you know, they talk about, but they don't explore enough.
2: Mm -hmm. I did want to say I liked what the movie did with that by having the Avengers be involved directly. It makes that dynamic work better. Like if that explosion had happened due to some other heroes, I don't think it would, the movie would have worked anywhere near as well. Um, And, you know, the other thing that I, you know, in terms of like, where are we going to see this discussion? I'm really curious about whether we're going to see it in the next Netflix shows, because, you know, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage have superpowers. Are they going to be, you know, are they going to be registering? Does that put them under the, the you know, spotlight of the NYPD?
0: But I think that, I, to me, I actually disagree with that. I think the, the movie, having the Avengers involved the way it is, was actually a failure of the film. and And the reason... I think that is that they have all this destruction in New York. They have all this destruction in Sokovia, but it's a couple of Wakandans getting killed accidentally is what sets everyone off. Like thousands dead otherwise, nope, totally cool, but you know, 13 dead diplomats, no, 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 no. We can't have that. Well, uh,
2: okay, a couple I, – I, I disagree on two points. One, the, the point of the Wakandan thing to me is that the Wakandans have international clout, so the reason why it's happening because of this and not previous events is that the Wakandans are making it happen, or they're not the only ones, but they are a major political force for it within the UN. And then yes. the other thing to me is just, you saw from Ross's presentation that, you know, the governments of the world were, uh, uh, were getting really into to episode two stuff, so we should probably cut this <laughs> off a little bit, but that, you know, they had been paying attention, you know, and. Because the Sokovia Accord does not come, you know, does not get drafted, you know, overnight.
1: Not like the Patriot Act did. Womp, womp, womp. Um, Indeed. So actually, I just speak about Wakanda uh, a little bit in another sense, which is um, I'm so happy with how the movie introduced T'Challa's character and his dad and, like, their whole world really well. It We needed – The movie needed to do a good job of getting people who don't know anything about Black Panther excited for his introduction, and this movie definitely did that. And I was concerned that the desire to give him an air of nobility, they would make him just be very wooden, because that's what happens all of the fucking time to, especially to, like, African characters, in general that are supposed to be like heroic and noble. Like they just get made very wooden because people are scared to interact with them. Like as somebody with emotions and the actor, Chadwick Boseman did an amazing job of just being real and human and charismatic all at the same time. Um, And they gave him his own emotional arc throughout the narrative. You know what I mean? He starts in one place and ends in another. Um, And I loved how they had him with Bucky at the very end of the movie and that that's where that, that because their science is the science that Bucky will consider himself to be maintained by. Like that shows the level of trust and expertise that the Wakandans have. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was really good. When he didn't kill Zola, I was like, when I mean, he keeps Sola from killing himself. I mean, all of those pieces were really well played.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I will say, you know, in terms of just how deathly the Russo brothers did this movie, you know, you look at how Avengers Age of Ultron really lumbered as a movie in comparison with fewer characters than this yeah. one did. And, you know, they introduced, you know, not only did a lot of characters get uh, an emotional arc, but they introduced a bunch of, you know, Two mm-hmm. characters and gave them an origin story and it you know had a beginning middle and end and it clicked all in you know a few minutes you know how much screen time did spider-man really get how much screen time did black panther really get not that much in the grand scheme of things but it was incredibly uh efficient storytelling
1: absolutely
0: Yes, I'm I, I actually very impressed by that. Like they they did a lot in their time frame, and I think they did it in a, uh, a much better way than Age of Ultron. I think Age of Ultron as a whole was, was a mess. Um, I was not yeah, a fan I of be,
1: as I said after watching this. At least no point during this movie did I feel the need to jump out of my seat and shout at the screen, offended at being like insulted by the movie itself. So that was really appreciated. I I'm glad to not have to defend myself from accusations <laughs> of being a monster
2: um,
1: yay uh, but yeah no, the movie was like really good on the women's front as well um, you know I don't it didn't have as many female characters as it should uh, but the ones it had treated really with respect um, I thought that uh, they gave you know Carter a good speech for her to have. I mean, I was heartbroken to have Peggy Carter die off camera, but it made sense. Like there was no way to have her die on camera. I just happened to love her so much and I'm very upset about it. Um, But, you know, but Sharon having that speech, I thought, you know, people were upset that they'd given this speech, which had famously been um, a line that Captain America had said to Sharon, but I think it was a really noble way to bring her into the story. Um, And I liked her, I, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought Sharon Carter was an interesting character here, but not as, like, she, well, we'll have to be given, I don't think anybody, like, watches this movie and leaves in love with Sharon Carter, the way people all watched Civil, I'm sorry, Cap 1 and left in love with Peggy Carter. Because um, she doesn't have much to do. But, she, but in a difficult situation here, um, you know, like, she didn't get the love interest backhanded treatment, at least. Yeah, she I, I liked it. her.
2: Um, I I also liked the um, the the way that they reframed that speech because it worked to motivate Captain America and like give him his mission statement, but because it was coming from someone else and someone that he implicitly trusted and sort of you know saw as kind of you know uh, a figure of respect, that it sort of explained his motivations. Without making him seem too arrogant, because that is mm-hmm. one of the dangers that you run, um, given his position. The, it's interesting that the Russo brothers didn't talk about the adaptations because there were a bunch of things that they pulled from the comic. That was one of them. The image, in, you know, that they really did like a slow, um, a slow motion, um, like pan in on was the image of uh, Captain America holding up the shield against Tony's mm-hmm. uh, repulsors.
0: Yeah, it's straight up, you know, the cover of issue whatever, 6 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm.
2: And speaking of that final fight, one of the things that they did that I thought worked really, really well is, you know, the final knockdown-dragout fight between Iron Man and, and Captain America in the comics ends much the same way with Captain America on top and, you know, Tony's mask having been knocked off and him saying, you know, finish it. And whereas in the comic books, Captain America gets tackled by nine eleven in one of the most, like, you know, hokiest things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, you know, here, Steve Rogers, you know, as angry as he's ever been, as, you know, you know, enraged as he's ever been, makes the choice to disable the armor rather than kill his friends. And I was yeah. like, that is a really, really good way to, to take that sort of kernel from the comic and just make everyone act with about 20% more, uh, we can argue about the figure, but you know, act with more maturity and intelligence. And it's like, of course, Cap in a fight. He's not going to want to kill Tony, but he's going to you know, figure out a way to disable his armor so that
1: the fight ends with no one dying. Yeah, and I just I I just I want to say that that's true, but I also want to talk a little bit about Tony Stark. Like how heartbreaking was it when he was telling Cap that you don't get to keep that shield that my, that was my dad's shield. I just I, and, and of course Cap like had to leave it. That was so completely fucking true, you know. Um I but I just generally this whole movie I frequently found myself saying poor tony like everything that could happen bad happens to tony in this movie you know Rody is gets seriously injured in a like a really terrifying way um he finds out about his parents he's like really reliving his childhood trauma a lot mm-hmm. um and hey, he realizes geez. that he fucked up and he feels like he's betrayed by his friend he feels that, and because Steve did choose Bucky over him, and he's heartbroken. I, I just, I really, honestly think the secondary title for the movie should have been "Me Stark and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day."
2: Well, and <laughs> uh, he also broke up with Pepper.
1: Yeah, or yep. got dumped. It's, so
2: it's, it's
1: yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, honestly, but, I do think that this week, like, this is the third worst week of Tony's life. Like, the first week is like he's in a cave and he has to perform heart surgery on himself the second worst week? Is his parents dying? This, this is probably just as bad as the second worst week of his life, come to think of it. I feel so bad for
2: Tony. And, you know, in, in general, I think this is, you know, when we're talking about adaptational differences, you know, uh, Brett, you kind of knocked the personal stuff, but I think that kind of makes it work in that we actually have emotional investment on both sides, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly know that when I was reading the comic books, I was all Team Captain America and considered Tony to be a uh, fascist because, yeah. you know, his, because it was all about the politics, everything was about, um, you know, his, you know, futuristic belief that he knew what was best for everyone and, you know, isn't in definite detention and, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, basically enforce slavery as superheroes, a good thing. So this at least made it, you know, you could feel for the guy.
0: But I think that's part I think the emotional twist at the end bothers me in that it takes any of the political aspect out of the film and make it makes it completely personal for Tony. And, you know, that's the point part of the point of it. But like at that point, I don't see how you can be on Tony's side. Like the guy is a dick who, yes, is just lash is lashing out because of what happened. But he's not thinking rationally. He's not thinking through and he's, and he's just making it personal.
2: But that's why okay. I, I could feel for him is that I was like, okay, he's just found out that this guy murdered his mother. You know, how could you, you know, in that moment, I would be freaked out if anyone acted rationally.
1: Yeah, I, I was frustrated at, at, at how that revelation was introduced because I thought it that officially trashed anything of having to, having to be anything other than purely personal. But, like, of course – And Tony was wrong to act the way he did, but completely understandable and completely sympathetic in it. You know what I mean? Um, Oh, it's understandable. I just don't
0: think at that point you can be like, like, I can understand it, but at that point I can't agree with it. Like, you know, if you just kept it to the, you know, we were unchecked, we kill all these people, we call these problems, we need to be trained, we need someone to watch over us. Like, at least there's like a logical thing about it. But when you get into the parent, it just becomes personal at that point, and I'm like, you know, it's a complete personal fight. Like, I I have no I, – I don't see how you can, you know, correct, be correct at that point. You're you're just well, raw. Well, let me, let,
2: me, let me pose a question to you, uh, somewhat in the form of a hypothetical. In order to watch Tony Stark in future movies, would he need to have his brain reformatted? Because that's what they had to do in the comic books. Uh... Like… The, the Tony Stark who did what he did in Civil War had to essentially, quote-unquote, die in order to make people okay with him. Because, you know, yeah. in the comic, he clones Thor and turns the clone into a murder machine. You know, yes. he yeah. does some awful, awful shit, whereas, you know, in, in, they made some rather clever adaptational decisions here that make his position not as bad. For example, the prison. Right, The fact that he's not the one in charge of the prison changes things a lot.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, the prison and stuff in the comics are one of the points that you most look at and say there is nothing redeemable about Tony's perspective at all, even if he... And in the movie, the government played Tony. You know, the government lied about how it was going to treat people. And, you know, Tony was very blithe about everything's temporary and da 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 But once he realized the level of abuse that was part of it. He, you know, honestly, a really, a really brave movie would have been a movie where there wasn't a a government conspiracy. um, Where, I'm sorry, where Bucky had been guilty actually would have been a brave movie to make, but that's not the kind of thing that gets made, you know, where Bucky had done the murders, but he was not, you know, he was not under his own control at the time or things like that. Like, Mm. Um, in some ways... It
0: would, it would have been way more interesting, yeah. But it,
2: uh, I mean, I wouldn't I mean, know how to make it, but... I, I could see that, but I also, you know... And, and we'll probably get into this more next movie. I was really impressed by the fake-out that they did with Zemo. Mm. Because walking into this movie, like, my thought was, okay, HYDRA is behind all of this. Like, that's why they want the Avengers under government control is so that they can control the Avengers. And, you know, I thought, like, that when they talked about these, like, there are these other, you know, winter soldiers out there, and oh, that's what he's really after. And then to find out that, no, the whole plan was to make these guys kill each other, to destroy the Avengers as an institution, I was like, that is really fucking clever. That is genuinely a, 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 a switch that, that uh, works on both a narrative level and a kind of a broader conceptual level.
0: But mm-hmm. It's funny that you bring up the Hydra thing because I actually think the 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 fact that Hydra isn't used a whole lot is, is an issue is is a problem I have with the film. I'm like, so when they're all in, you know, they're they uh, in their conference room talking about this, all anyone has to say is, "Hey, the last time we dealt with government people, Hydra was running the government. Why would we do this again? Like it went horribly wrong last time." And, like, no one yeah. seems to bring that up at all.
2: No, that, that's a very good point. In fact, uh, my friend uh, Natasha over at Unspoiled has been doing a series of uh, patrons-only podcasts about the movie. And, like, the one common critique they had is that, you know, there's not enough conversation, ironically, in a movie that has a lot of talky bits. And they wanted someone to point out that, hey, um, you know, world governments wanted to nuke New York City during Avengers 1. Um, and Avengers 1 only happened because S.H.I.E.L.D. was tampering with the Tesseract. And, uh, you know, uh, the the civilian damage that happened during, you know, at Washington, you know, there was a government institution that gave itself a, ma- a weapon of mass destruction and allowed itself to get taken over by HYDRA. And isn't that your responsibility, not CAP's? And likewise, you know, um, one of the things that I had a beef with in Lagos Uh, was that, you know, if you look at what happened when uh, uh, Scarlet Witch levitated the the explosion, there were way more people on the ground than there were up on that building. And I sort of felt like someone should turn around to King T'Chaka and say, like, is it better that 10, you know, that 150 uh, Nigerians die than 10 Wakandans?
1: That would have been brave and accurate.
0: I think the other the other thing that uh, that goes along with the Hydra thing is Thunderbolt, you know, created the abomination. Like we've already seen, the government can't be responsible when it comes to creating and using su- like superheroes. You know, I'm doing quotes with superheroes with that. Like right there, there's example number one. Like they they screwed that up from the you know the get go.
2: Yeah, and didn't he unleash the abomination on Harlem?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, out of everyone to give that speech, it's like, I know you had an epiphany because you had a heart attack in your backswing,
2: but <laughs> you
0: screwed up with, like, your Hulk-level bad guy. Like, you can't blame the, the Avengers for losing Hulk and Thor. You screwed up with the Abomination, and they had the same issue, you know, 12 movies ago
1: yeah but you know that, did, did that even occur in this universe no yeah oh yeah no no, no. that was part but of it. you're all completely right in terms of us viewing it as comics readers and fans um do you actually were there any things that you thought the comic any other things you think the comics did well uh not necessarily civil war the miniseries written by mark millar but rather the comics of the civil war era that they did that you really felt were missing that that you would have been good to include in this movie so there was
0: we we talked about it beforehand a bit. I it, it, I don't know if I would call it good, but I definitely think it enhances the coldness of Tony. In that the in the comics um, they've got their their Thor clone flying around and he winds up killing uh, Goliath, who is and I can't think of the, his alter ego, but uh, he's a black guy at this point. I can't think of the guy his regular name. Uh, so Thor kills Goliath. And then, you know, there's a slight talk of like, you know, you know, if Goliath was using force against us, it's no different than a cop. And then he repeats that line later on. In 2006, that's a very different context where, you know, in 2006 it was, oh, they killed the black superhero. In, you know, 2016, you've got the black superhero who's been killed, and then you're comparing it to cop shooting a people, person is very different context. I'm not saying it's good, but I, I think it, it shows a coolness to Tony's thought process that I think was lacking a bit in the in the movie. Like, that line alone is just such a holy shit moment. Yeah,
2: although, although in the comics, you have this character of the, the grieving mother who, yeah. in my notes, I ask, is this a scroll, Because she pops up every opportunity to be like the straw man for like, hey, the American people are on your side. You're doing the right thing, Tony. Don't worry about the people you killed, Tony. Everything's yeah. going to be great. I'm like, she's a Skrull. She's a Skrull. She's behind all of this.
0: Well, the Skrulls. I mean, we don't know else, for sure that she's a, not a scroll.
1: Like we we don't know for sure that she's not a Skrull. You know, I don't remember seeing anything more with her during the Skrull invasion. I just that's baffled right. she that just she has this much she has this much access to them. I
0: thought like, that the, hey,
1: the, the woman who they had cast in the movie to deliver that speech, I thought was a very good, good gravitas. She and was how she caught him off guard. And I like how Tony was immediately thinking she was going for a gun, like in that, like that showing him as having that kind of judgment, um, mm-hmm. I think was revealing about him.
2: Yeah. I have to say when I first saw her, I had a momentary thing was, is this Amanda Wallner? Is this I a know, she <laughs> What's
1: going she on? A, she looks a little bit like the actress who's going to be playing Amanda Waller. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's Water's Woodard. Years.
0: Alfre Woodard is an amazing actress. Yeah. And, and luckily, we get her again in, in Luke Cage, which I'm super psyched, uh, psyched about.
1: Different oh, really? So she's going to be in Luke Cage?
0: Different character, but yes.
1: Oh. I mean, the thing, to me, like, Civil War is the thing that gave me Luke Cage, you know? Obviously, this Civil War yeah. is not. And for a whole new generation of people... Jessica Jones will be the thing that gave them Luke Cage. Um, But I I really thought that the Civil War storyline in Marvel Universe, like, it enabled some interesting... I liked the idea of having my heroes all go underground. It seemed like a very plausible thing to have to have happen regardless. Um, And, you know, you have characters talk about the tension between, like, how it's sort of fun to, like, be on your own and be on the road, but then you actually know it's all too real because it has impacts on your family and it has impacts on your health and like sort of showing the collateral damage that comes from that, but also like the feeling of solidarity and connectedness that you share with other people who are under that same level of intense uh, duress as you are in those moments of crisis. I thought that that was done in mm. the comics of the civil war era. <laughs> if we call it that there <laughs> were any good. They showed that and that I thought was interesting I also, but I kind of hate calling every. I hate, I hate calling anything civil war. Like it's, I'm not. I mean, obviously, there have been almost every nation has had a civil war. I kind of think that like using the word civil war to describe a fight between superheroes, and certainly between ten superheroes or so, as it is in the movie, is kind of an insult to the reality of actual civil wars.
2: Okay, so sh- shall we just call it Cap Three then?
1: Yes, Cap Three. The secret of the ooze. Um, wait, no, that was Electric Boogaloo. So, that's no that that's is, also that no that electric boogaloo. <laughs> the return so, of the cap. I, cap three, the return of the bucky.
2: Okay. Um so one that's thing accurate. I wanted to talk about in term in terms of adaptational differences that I thought was kind mm-hmm. of interesting, especially in light of uh Batman versus Superman, is that um they had a big superhero fight in the movies, and no one died. Um, and in some ways, it was more impactful than in the comics when they, you know, killed a character, but no one, you know, who was one of the main characters, because they're going to need them later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the in some ways, like, I think, dramatically going forward, the fact that, you know, Rody has been paralyzed and, you know, Cap is on the run. Um, you know, all of this stuff is going to be kind of, in some ways, more kind of fraught and, you know, emotional and rich with potential than if, you know, stuff had happened a little with more finality, which compare that to Batman versus Superman, where their big idea for the second Superman movie was to kill Superman. <sighs>
1: It is. So
0: My the thing with the, the death of Superman and that film, I actually like it in that it it frames the film around Batman. I still argue that Batman vs. Superman isn't a Superman film. It's a Batman film in that it opens with his parents' death, which drives him on his his quest. And then the death of Superman drives him on a second quest to form the Justice League. But that's probably, I mean, that's a discussion for a whole other time. But it's it's interesting in the two... How they, how they handled it, and I think it's actually more interesting in that the comics, they wound up killing people in the movie they don't for Civil War, and in Batman versus Superman, they don't really kill anyone, and in the movie they do.
1: Well, you know, I, I think it's a great point, but you know what happens at the end of Civil War in the comics is Cap gets killed. So, uh, you know, I, I'm Well, he goes,
0: he, goes on, he goes on trial. Like, in Captain America comics, he, go, he gets killed, but he, yeah, exactly. I mean, he gives up first. Yeah,
1: by the way, ever since that scene of him turning himself in in the courthouse, whenever I'm by the big courthouses in New York, I'm constantly wondering like if somebody's going to get shot. It's like, they're going to kill him on their way in. There's all these camera crews everywhere. It's a very, very he, wide open space. And he got sent back in time.
0: Sort of, <laughs> weird, whatever yes, it was. Right. <laughs> time bullets.
1: <laughs> the time bullets. So, wait. So Darkseid is in the Marvel Universe?
2: Sent him no, back it's to just simultaneous... Japan? It's just simultaneous evolution. But I, I do think it's funny that in the comic books, I mean, you could make a legitimate argument that Steve Rogers is a Time Lord. Because, you know, <laughs> he's not only has he traveled through time, he is also aged. You know, he's been aged and then de-aged. You know, he basically has different, um, uh, oh, carnations. What's the phrase in, the, in Doctor Who? Regeneration. bodies. Yeah, like he basically regenerates. You know, I would love to see a Captain America uh, Time Lord. Hmm.
1: I like it. I'm not the Doctor Who person here,
0: though. Now I'm running through my head of where he would use Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey, and it's bigger on the inside.
1: Ah, God. It doesn't all have to be so British, you know. It'd be like... (laughs) Slightly less British. The British part could just be his girlfriend. Um, So uh, I am somebody who was always creeped out and not at all okay with Wanda and Vision as a couple in the comics on account of him being a robot and me being, I guess, an anti-robot bigot, I suppose. Um, (laughs) Don't
2: date robots.
1: I I mean, like, they're just going to make you have fictional children and then you'll get blamed for it, okay? So I, I was curious when I started to see how they had assigned Vision to babysit her in this movie, like if that was sort of leaning up towards something. I still, I just don't think that a young woman should make decisions to spend the rest of her life with a robot at that young of an age. Especially because she's like 12 in this movie, I'm sorry. But I did think the movie made a legitimate case of them having an interesting connection with each other intellectually. I don't want it to be a romantic connection, but I liked their conversations together.
2: I think it goes deeper than uh than an emotional relationship because in in the movie universe, he's the source of her powers, essentially. Mm. That's like a good or point. I mean, okay, that's that's not right. The thing that is implanted it's in his, in his, his forehead yeah. is yeah. the source of her powers. And they have, you know, in that sense a larger link and that's why like you know she is able to affect him far more than anybody else because um, she can access that bond and use it to knock him through many 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 floors.
1: I just yeah, that scene was pretty heartbreaking, you know
0: yeah i'm I'm hoping that he gets explored that. I don't want to see him romantically linked in the film just because I'm also creeped out that he's almost twenty years older than her
2: yeah um, I, and that, and a robot. Know, I would like to see <laughs> sorry yeah I would like to see if they're going to do a rob if if they're ever going to do a vision movie or whatever. I would like to see what they're doing right now in the comics where he makes himself a robot family and tries to live in the suburbs and it all all goes horribly wrong because you know one of the things that I think the marvel um movies have been very good at is showing that superheroes can be in any genre. And we haven't really seen a superhero horror movie yet. Hmm. Horror,
1: not horror. Horror. It's a horror movie, but yeah, yeah, we haven't since Blade. Yeah, there's one that I actually thought was, I don't a, know. Blade it was more kind of scary. They wanted to be.
0: Do not mock Blade. Other, you can mock the third one, but the first and second one are fine.
2: No, they were fine. They're fine. I mean, they're fine, I... but like they're they're action movies. Like yeah. I oh, thought yeah. they were cool, but I was never scared.
0: They're, they're horror like Vampire the Masquerade is horror.
1: <laughs> Vampire of the Masquerade is Vampire of the Masquerade is horror if your GM is good enough for it to be. If you're good enough to make it be. True. It's just a framework. There's nothing requiring it to be any one way or another. It could also be satire, it could be anything. I'm just saying.
2: Weird, Weird story it could be is wacky Valkavian's Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was a
1: weird story. We actually
2: almost
0: bought uh, um, uh, White Wolf back in the day. Some buddies and I.
1: The company. I know, you guys should have done that. Yeah, it would have been fun. Anyway, were there any things in the movie that surprised you? Like, really freaking surprised you?
0: How much I want a Bucky and and Falcon buddy cop movie?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, They were so
1: much fun together.
2: uh, Surprised me. Um.
1: I mean, I was like, you know, I was surprised at how apolitical it was, but I think it might have had to have been that way. I, you know, one of the critics that I know actually had predicted that this would be the way it would go down. I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to say who, but um, but yeah, somebody had, pos- had, pos- had had guessed that they were going to basically make the movie not be about the politics at all and status. Oh, we
2: have. Uh, Giant Man.
1: Yeah, him going that... giant. No, I kind of got that.
0: That got spoiled by the toys, unfortunately. Otherwise, oh, I would have really? been surprised. Yeah,
2: but I, I wasn't I paying know. attention. So oh, was I, I? I, that was a total surprise for me, and it was awesome. I, I will say
0: the thing that really surprised me is that I think they did a great job balancing the different tones of the film, and that mm-hmm. you had this political action thing that was more akin to Winter Soldier, and then you had these really great comedic moments, pretty much anything with Paul Rudd, Spider-Man... Um, oh, and Paul Rudd is so funny. Yeah, him, like awesome. those those three elements, I think, all did really well to kind of alleviate what would have been a very depressing film potentially.
2: How? You know, one, one. Sorry, go ahead. Mm-mm.
1: Okay, fine. I, I... How traumatized is Tony Stark coming out of this? Like, I think Tony Stark is going to have a nervous breakdown. Like, of a huge like he's deserved. He he's he's earned it. You know what I mean? Like, enough terrible traumatic stuff has gone down to him lately. I am surprised he's not, like, a complete pile on the ground. Can we get him Uh, drinking finally? Exactly. I would – that would be the smallest thing I would be doing.
2: Maybe that's the the Iron Man 4s. They're going to do Demon in a Bottle.
1: Actually, here's a question. Don't you remember from the trailers there was a whole thing with, like, he was my friend, I thought I was too – wasn't that not yeah. in the movie
2: in the end? No. They did it in the movie but they used a different take because in the trailers, it's this kind of like hurt. Like, I was your friend too. And in the movie, it's angry. It's, I was your friend too and you chose him. Oh, so okay. They, they, so that's why they I didn't did it, it. They flipped it, which is interesting.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Thoughts on that choice?
2: It was okay. I kind of liked the the Hurt version a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I was sitting there expecting it and then it didn't happen. I guess that's just the way it is when you're watching trailers and the movie is different in the end. But you didn't used to have that big gulf between trailers and the end result of a film years ago. There, it was, that just didn't happen before. Well, I, I'm definitely hoping that coming out of this we'll finally get to have a Black Panther movie that we deserve and some movies that are like not led by white men named Chris. That's Yeah, my-
2: by the way, Three African-American men in one superhero movie who all get to talk and have different opinions about stuff and are different people.
1: Absolutely. One of whom is not even a sidekick. Yep. We have briefly Um, one awesome African-American, African, I should say. I don't know where the actress is from. African woman uh, who's the bodyguard from the Dora. Oh, my God, I'm going to butcher the name. It's a make-believe name the The
2: Kingsguard essentially for yes.
1: T'Challa. Oh, the she was great. <laughs> yeah, the
0: yeah, Guard. she was
2: great. Um, I'm really hopeful now that um, you know, Ike Perlmutter is out and Kevin Feige is in that we're going to get a Black Widow movie. Uh, I'm looking forward to Captain America. Uh, excuse me, Captain Marvel. I would look forward even more to Miss Marvel. Uh
0: mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, fingers crossed for good things.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, they said they're definitely doing Black Widow at some point. So we've got that. And, you know, I I, I would hope they would do Ms. Marvel. I think she would be go over huge. I mean, the, the thing right now holding back is in humans and where that is in the schedule. But, um, yeah, I it would be interesting to see it. I I, it, I think it'll be fascinating to see how, you know, what they do with, with Iron Man 4 and where that's going to fit in. Because before that went from... It's not going to happen to now, oh, no, we totally want to do it. Um, everyone's on board doing it, and they've, they've laid out <clears> their yeah, schedule giant, and they're reshuffling.
2: It's a giant dump truck of money effect. It's like, yeah. I'm done with these movies. Oh, wait, I love these movies.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, and, you know, Robert Downey Jr., the big thing was he took a bigger, what, back-end pay uh, than, you know, the upfront money, and it's paying for him, so, of course, he was willing to uh, Go in again because I imagine that's easy. You know, twenty million dollar paycheck for him.
1: And movies where his character is sympathetic and has interesting things to do, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd I definitely distinct
1: from the comics in that way. <laughs> I mean, they've left I him out of. Yeah, I can't point. stand him in the comics.
0: But yeah, I mean, that, I, t- I will definitely say the the movie version of Tony, to me, is way more interesting than the comic version. Um, generally, I'm not going to say all the time uh-huh. But generally And I think they, they've, they've played his emotional stuff Like I might not totally agreed where they used it But his journey through I think has is, is been kind of fascinating And if they don't do Demon the Bottle Or something like that in Iron Man 4 I would be rather surprised Because that just seems to be the logical thing But then again, I thought they were going to do that For Iron Man 3 and clearly they didn't
2: they kind of did it a very little bit with Iron Man 2, but, like, not yeah. very much.
0: Or two, no. I mean. And he's yeah, got a lot
2: more right. reason to do, like, for it to become an issue now because his, like, safety net, you know, his social structure has completely disintegrated on him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and The other is, like, I, I'd be fascinated to see what they do with Rhodey. Like, there's a lot of potential for what they could do with that in good ways that they I hope they actually do it like they you know you've got a a guy who's you know a vet who is now hurt and needs um needs help and needs rehabilitation and all this work and um you know that's a great issue to bring up yes
1: he might have awesome robot legs
0: yes he would but, I mean, it's a great issue for them to bring up, whether or not they will. Like, it's a whole other thing. But they have, or they tried to in the comics. So, you know, here's hoping did they... They did a little
2: could, in, in uh, Iron Man 3. Because, you know, all of the, um, the extremist people were yeah. um, wounded veterans.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the comics they did, we, we covered it on the site because it was with the Wounded Warrior Project, which isn't all that legit. Um, they tried, you know, bring, raising the issue of of wounded vets in comics. So, I mean, we've got an opportunity here to do it in movies too. Um,
2: oh, speaking of which, um, have you seen the thing that Marvel did with the uh, 3D printed prosthetics for kids?
0: Oh my God, yes! I'm in love with that stuff. I, that I,
2: I, that really I, is it's amazing. So fantastic.
0: Yeah, I I can't speak highly enough for that, and the fact that you know Robert Downey Jr. went in the one I'm thinking of, where he went to the kid and handed it off as Tony Stark is just, I mean, it's wonderful. Like, that's a story that's kind of hard not to have feel.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really looking forward to uh, our next opportunity to discuss the series with you guys um, next week. We will be getting down in the dirt to fight over whether we think the movie portrayed <laughs> Captain America successfully, and if we think that uh, Captain America has gone our favorite new deal Democrat has gone libertarian on us in this film or not. And we'll be fighting out a lot more about the divide between the Mutant registration act um, and all that. That's going to be next week where we will have another guest with us, who will be Amanda Marcotte, whose piece you may have read in salon and who uh, is of the opinion that the movie has turned our beloved cap into a libertarian and Stephen does not believe this is the case. And then we will all fight. It will be like a civil <laughs> war amongst people who have all been guests on my show to talk about Jessica Jones. And okay.
2: I call not being Rhodey and or Goliath.
1: Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna You're not going to – yes. I promise you, you will not become a black guy and get shot. I'm Paul um, Rudd. Everyone wants to call Paul Rudd, okay? So,
0: okay. We have a weird theory about me and Paul Rudd. It is totally off topic. So we were both born on April 6th. Uh, we're both Russian Jews, um, and neither of us seem to age normally.
1: Neither of us is
0: Like, go back That's a decade true. for both of us. We look almost exactly the same.
1: And you have spunky hair. Both of you do. Uh, yes.
0: Yes, we do. We, we all have the, the hair in common.
1: <laughs> you, you are Ant-Man. I see it now. Okay, then. You're the truth. Okay. I am short. So I'm I... sort of Ant-Man. Huh. Well... Just don't make me the watcher. So we'll be back <laughs> on Monday, 10 p.m. with uh, Amanda, and we'll fight about Team Cap versus Team Iron Man um, and the Mutant Registration Act. I'm sorry, not the Mutant Registration Act, the Superhero Registration Act and so forth. But we should also it,
2: talk about the Mutant Registration Act.
1: Yes, it's precursor. Um, we can. Yeah. Which would
2: be interesting so, to uh, go
1: back and see what you heard about that. We need to do that. So that would be interesting. Well, I mean, there's a difference between being a mutant, which is something you're born with, versus being a superhero, which is a choice that you make. <laughs> like, no, I know. Steve, you might be oh able to answer it. It's a good question. Into... No, no, well,
0: I'm just so quick, do you, do you know if, if non-mutants ever dealt with that? I don't remember.
2: Yes. Mm-mm. So okay. uh, in uh, Days of Future Past, um, the Fantastic Four and Captain America and the rest of the Avengers are all uh, massacred by the Sentinels in the future. And um, uh, Senator Kelly specifically calls out the Avengers and the Fantastic Four in the hearings over the Mutant Registration Act. So one of the things that always bugged me in the comics was like, one, the X-Men should be way more freaked out about this because they've seen this before. And two, all the rest of the superheroes should remember that they also were on the, you know... Uh, you know the receiving end of this shit before.
0: Interesting. Oh, this is definitely a discussion for another time. We need to bring this up either in post or next
1: week. We'll do it. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank,
0: Thank you. Thank you. And we'll-
1: Eastern. And yes. Stephen, where can everybody find you on the internet for all of your like best in the business Game of Thrones related coverage?
2: Okay, uh, you can find me at racefortheironthrone.wordpress.com or .tumblr.com, or you can find me on Twitter at stevenatwell.
0: Excellent, and you have an awesome uh, column on graphic policy called The People's History of Marvel, um, that you can folks can learn all kinds of interesting things about Marvel comics and get you to write, really think through uh, the various characters and series throughout the years. Um, he does a fantastic job when it comes to that. So uh, it's something you want to read. If you're not reading it, you
1: should. Absolutely. Uh, Especially you. if you want to yeah. know more about Captain America and the X-Men. Yes. Next,
2: next column is all about uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon. Yeah, I'm so excited. I... Okay. Do, do you talk Are about you him
0: talking jive during the 70s?
2: Oh, I have got so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't wait. Sam Wilson. There's so much to be said about the various forms of jive. The movie has done a great job of having Sam Wilson actually be a really successful, awesome character.
2: Yes. Indeed. I loved his red wing, by the way.
1: Oh, that was so cute, making her thank the robot. I relate to both of them in that moment. Okay, I'll talk to you next week, guys.
0: Yes. All right. Bye
1: bye.
0: Yep. Bye. Um, and for everyone who is listening, thank you very much. As always, you can catch us every single day at graphpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion. Uh, we will actually really dive deep down into the motivations and the political context of Captain America Civil War, so you'll be able to listen at, into that. Monday at 10 p.m., uh, we'll have that posted up on Blog Talk Radio, so you could set a reminder for yourself and uh, make sure to catch it. And for those who want to listen into this, we came in late, want to share it around, listen to it again, uh, it will be up on iTunes and Stitcher in probably an hour or so. Of course, we'll download it up and uh, post it up on SoundCloud and our website tomorrow, so you'll be able to catch it there. So until next week, as always, thank you for listening. I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.